Can somebody go ahead and just read the passage from Philippians 1, 27 to 2, 4, just to set this up a little bit. Uh, from last week, we read uh, chapter, um, <clears throat> excuse me, from 19 to uh, 26, and Paul had talked about how he was in a, in a, um, he had a hard decision, or he was kind of caught between wanting two things, wanting to be with Christ, he's at the end of his life, he wants to either be with Christ in heaven, or which is, he sees as far better, but he says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is necessary on your account. So he's thinking of them and thinking, well, it's good for me to go and uh, uh, be with the Lord, but uh, it's more necessary for me to stay here and continue on preaching the gospel. And, and uh, so he says, it's more necessary for you, so I think that that's what God is going to do. And, uh, and in verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So he's thinking of the Philippian people and realizing that the best thing to, to happen would be for him to continue on his life, keep living. And uh, so uh, we pick it up uh, at, at, at verse 27 when he's starting to say uh, what he wants to see the Philippians aspire to. And I, I got these words on the, on the thing here. And we'll get to that in a second. But let's go ahead and read that. Uh, somebody go ahead and read from verse 27 to 2 4. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God, for it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. All right, thank you. Well, that's quite a passage, and uh, I, uh, I think we just need to begin at looking at some of the phrases he uses. Um, he starts with the word only, and the reason he says only is that this is the main thing. This is the only thing I'm really, really concerned about in you guys, whether I'm, whether I'm able to come back and be with you or not, this is what I want to see happen. This is what I want to see you aspire to. And he uses a word, uh, and it, we, we've got it translated as manner of life. Uh, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And the word has a meaning that kind of, I think, is relevant to us today. And it means, um, it comes from a word called polytuma. And a polytuma, that's, that's probably a corruption of the Greek pronunciation of it. But basically, 
He's saying, uh, conduct yourselves as citizens of the gospel of Christ. And like uh, Jared was saying before, uh, this was a, a Roman colony he was writing to. So they were, they were understood the concept of being citizens of Rome. Okay? And so he uses this word that, that, that is from the word polituma, which is uh, the explanation for what that is, is a community or civic body or political entity. The word is frequently used for citizens of the same place in the midst of a foreign state, often with, it, with its own laws and obligations. It often referred to a colony of foreigners or relocated veterans. And so uh, in, in the history books, uh, different historians would talk about uh, the polituma of let's say Antioch, or the Palatuma of this new place. And usually it would be Jewish people living in uh, an area where there they would have their own kind of uh, laws and obligations and rules and, and community inside of another community. And usually they'd be foreigners there. So he uses this word that basically means the way you live out your life, live out your citizenship as a Christian, worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, later on in Philippians 3.20, we find out that we're citizens of heaven, and we'll get, get there at a certain point. But he's saying there's a, there's a specific community of, of believers that we live a little differently, and we live out our, 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 our faith in a different way than the community around us, is kind of what he's, he's talking about. So... He says, let, let it be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he wants them to get to this point where it says, standing firm, uh, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Striving by, excuse me, striving, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And those two terms uh, come from military things. The first one, standing firm, that's a military image for a unit that forms a line together in the face of the enemy. Uh, and, it's, and it's opposed to the idea of running and, and fleeing, okay? It's the idea of standing firm. If you watch the movie 300 or some of those movies based on the Roman Empire, you see an army and they're all standing there with their shields and stuff, mm -hmm. okay? That's the, the image that he's saying. You're standing firm against the opposition. You're not running away, okay? Mm -hmm. So you're doing that, and then it says you're striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Now, the word that means striving side by side is, is a word called sin, synathlutus, okay? <laughs> now you don't know what that means but you've got to think about it just for a second it's two compound words sin, like synonymous uh, where we get the words the same okay, and athlutus where we get the word athlete okay, athletes together is kind of the idea here okay, so the word means solidarity solidarity in the midst of a struggle okay, this is the suggestion of soldiers standing side by side ready to face the opponent as a single unit. So he's, he's got this image of them standing firm, not running away, and then when he says not frightened, okay, in the next first, we won't get to there yet, but he's got these two words, 
that talk about kind of like an army or a team standing together and, and fighting for the truth of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. Now back uh, two years ago in the playoffs, and I don't know if you guys remember this, uh, but I watch a lot of the basketball, and, uh, and the, the Cleveland Cavaliers were down uh, uh, three to one or something. I don't remember how many games, but they were down to the uh, Golden State Warriors. And uh, they asked LeBron James, they said, uh, are you going to be able to come back and win this game, win this uh, playoff series? And uh, I remember sitting there when LeBron James said he had this stern look on his face and said, yeah, we're going to come back. Definitely confident we're going to come back. And uh, they said, how, why, why do you believe that? And he said, because I'm the best player in the world. That's what he said, right? Well, as you know, what happened was he didn't have his, his other guys with him. One of them was injured, Irving was injured. And if you know much about basketball, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, it's okay. <laughs> he had one of his other good players injured, and the other guy was uh, hurting a little bit. And so they ended up, he ended up playing really, really, really well and proving that he was the best player in the world, but this team lost. And because they faced a team, okay? And so the next year, like last year, that his team won because he valued probably a little more, saw that he needs these other guys a little more than he maybe first valued the thing. But I remember thinking at the time, saying to myself, okay, that's not a good answer. You should be saying, we're gonna win because we have a great group of people a great group of guys that can win this. And I remember uh, really thinking about that a lot and thinking, man, that's, that, that mindset of I'm the best player in the world, that's why we're going to win, is probably not the right one to do when you're on the team. And so Paul, when he's saying to the, to the Philippians, to the church, he's saying, I want you guys to strive together side by side, standing firm. There's, a, there's an element of strength from each other that he's pointing to. There's this element of, of team, there's an element of unity that's so important. He says that you're going to be like one person. In the, in the NIV, that's translated striving together as one. Now the word that's translated mind, okay, striving together with one mind, is the word uh, psyche. And I asked Elijah and uh, Evangeline today, what do what I think of when the word, think of the word psyche? And uh, Elijah said something really technical, and Evangeline said, <laughs> what did you say again? Your routine thought process. Your routine thought process. And Evangeline said something about uh, uh, what makes you tick, right? <laughs> but anyway, when you hear the word psyche, uh, it's, it's from this Greek word, okay? And, uh, and so when, when Paul is saying, he's saying he's, he's wanting this aspiration of these people standing firm, striving side by side and not frightened by your opponents, he's talking about having this word that we, most often in the Bible is translated soul, okay? Most often it's translated soul, here it's translated mind, but the idea is more than 
more than just mind, it's affections, it's, it's, it's everything we are. That everything you are is going to be focused on the gospel. Okay, that's what he wants to see in the Philippians, okay? Uh, the, the word means that which belongs uniquely to a person, the set of desires, affections, and appetites. That's what he wants to be united in one thing in the people, the Philippian church. The definition of psyche in our, in our modern day language is that the, t the totality of the human mind, conscious and unconscious. Another um, definition is the mental or psychological structure of a person, especially as a motivating force. So what motivates you? What's in your conscious and unconscious mind? And what what is your affection? All of those things are going to be together, Paul wants to say. I want all of those things together. With one mind, you're striving for the faith of the gospel. And uh, I got it pointed out here in Acts 42, 4.32. Um, this word is translated soul, one soul. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So there's a unity. And they even translated that word in Acts as soul. Okay. So what we're kind trying to get to is a soul connectedness. Of our heart's desire is going to be the same thing, is what he's saying. And uh, so we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, what is the faith of the gospel? What does he mean by that? Maybe I'll just throw it out for a second. What, what, what does he mean by the faith of the gospel? When you're striving together for this thing, called the faith of the gospel. Sorry, can you say the question again? What does he mean by the faith of the gospel? You see where it says he's striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel? What is the faith of the gospel? To pursue... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> to pursue God's will. To pursue God's will. Okay. Let's, get, let's try to get dial in what he's speaking directly to right here. I think like pursuing the faith of the gospel is like to pursue a life that's evident of your faith. Evident of your faith. Yeah. Okay. That it's not just like, this is what I believe, but like... Standing forward. Your life. Yeah, like yeah. the way you live your life. Right. Is a testament of your faith. Okay. I think that, that there's a lot to that. If we're striving for the faith of the gospel... Um, it seems to like he's talking about like one spirit, one mind, side by side. Like it's one truth. And so in the faith that it's one truth, that's what kind of brings us together to live out our oneness together. I think that that's, that's really what he's getting at is the truth of it, the belief of it, the faith that we have. I want to point out another verse of scripture um, in Jude. And uh, maybe... Turn with uh, somebody read Jude, and that's the that's a little little chapter before the book of Revelation. Okay, which verse? Uh, we're going to look at Jude, verse three. Beloved, although I was very eager to write you 
write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Very good. So here Jude is a, Jude, uh, is a guy who, said, who is actually Jesus' half-brother. And he's writing, and he says, I wanted to write to you guys about just celebrating our common faith, the things that we have in common, our belief, our, our common salvation, and being joyful about that. But he says, I found, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to fight for the faith that has been delivered to us once and for all by the apostles and the prophets, which has been given to us. The belief that we have, the faith that we have, the truth that we've been given. Fight for that truth. So when we look at, uh, at, at this, uh, this thing, contending for the faith of the gospel, striving for the faith of the gospel, a big element of that, I think a lot of it is what, uh, what Shalaria said about living out our faith and belief so that, that we're striving to live like that is true all the time. But it's, it's kind of also very much the element of what Mary Beth said about the truth. The faith is the truth that we believe in. When we're striving together for that faith because alone we're going to have a real difficult time contending for that faith and being united and encouraged in, in believing the truth. Mm -hmm. And so the word that, uh, that Jude uses is uh, in another uh, in another translation it says to contend earnestly. And the word is actually I'm not going to try to try to <laughs> say it again because I'm going to get laughed at. But it's uh, <laughs> epi-agonizomai. What does that sound like? Epic agony. It's like really trying hard and contesting for this faith. So getting back to the word striving, that's the word that, that also means agonize for this. Where do we get the word agonize? Agon. It's a contest. Okay. So we're contesting, we're striving to, to believe and continue to believe and, and live out the things that we believe in. And so this is what he's telling them to aspire to. So he's, he's pictured them all together, side by side, striving for the faith of the gospel with one mind, one soul, okay? So we're together so far? Yep. One soul, okay? But I think as I was looking through it, I thought, well, that's a hard place to just, okay, let's all do that right now. So I think that the next few verses are kind of the, the way that he... We have the method of it doing that, right? Because he, he begins to talk about not being frightened by your opponents. So by yourself, you may be frightened and tore down, but as a group, we stand for this faith, okay? And the word that uh, is translated frightened is a word that the, they would use also in a military <coughs> sense of horses that get uh, spooked and stampeded in, in the battle, and they run away. So he's saying, well, I don't want you guys to get stampeded and run, 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 run amok. I want you to stay together and fight for this. And so he says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So he's saying, the, the sign that 
you are uh, having opposition and you're not frightened by that opposition. You're standing strong. You're standing for the truth. You're standing for what you believe in. In the middle of that persecution is a sign that they're wrong, is what he's saying, okay? He's saying this is a clear sign to them of their destruction because you're standing firm. If you push down easily and you're, you're, uh, you're dissuaded easily or you, you uh, kind of have a, a, a giving in kind of attitude to, to the world around you, then he's saying that, then that, that emboldens their, their thinking. But if you're standing firm for the gospel, no matter what happens, it's a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that's from God. Then it says in verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So he uses the word granted, and that word just means like it's, he's, it's a grace or a favor from God. If he grants you this 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 privilege of suffering for his sake, then you should be thankful to God that he has allowed that in your life because it's making you a better, more stronger, it's making you a better person, it's making you into what he has decided for you. But also another part of that suffering is related to the doctrinal issue and, and what we believe, the, the things that we believe in about the gospel that persecution is going to come against our belief. Maybe in our society, you know, we could probably think of a lot of examples of it, that, but in our, in our lives, the world around us uh, will challenge us to be quiet about what we believe in. And so the suffering that it's talking about is related to when we stand for that truth. Could somebody read 2 Timothy 3, 12, and 12 to 14? 2 Timothy 3, 12 to 14. Does it start with in fact? Um, it could. In fact, everyone who wants to live Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Where are we going to? That's good enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to just basically get to the part to continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you learn okay and so he's saying again here there's going to be those who desire to live godly in christ jesus will suffer persecution and evil men and imposters another fake okay will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived this is talking about false teachers so so related to persecution uh always is false doctrine okay so you might have persecution in the sense that what you believe is going to be attacked, maybe subtly sometimes. But maybe we, you know, maybe, maybe outwardly and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, visibly, but maybe sometimes it's just uh, deception that, that comes in. So when we're standing firm for the gospel, it's not just persecution in the sense of 
you can't believe that. It's, it's, it's a subtle erosion of our beliefs from, from false teaching that comes around. So that's why we need to be careful and very careful that what, what people are teaching is arising from the scripture. Yes. And, and not just something that uh, they're, they're springboarding from the scripture into their own idea. And so when we think of this idea of uh, suffering for the Lord, sometimes that suffering is often related to uh, being uh, persecuted and undermined in our, in our beliefs about Christ and what we believe about the Bible and what we believe about salvation and what the truth of those doctrines. So I, I, don't, I think it's important to not separate that. That's, that persecution can mean that the doctrine we believe in is under attack in some way. So let's move on. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is verse 30. Okay? So he says, you're going to be engaged in the same fight as me, the same agon as me, <laughs> same contest, the same conflict for the truth. Okay? And you hear that I still have. He said, I'm still going through this, still suffering uh, this persecution for what I teach and what I preach and what I believe. And you're going to go through that. But, he says, so that's, this is my aspiration. You're going to, I want to see this happen even though you're going through this difficult time. And then he begins an appeal in, in chapter 2. And he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, right? And the word comfort also has that idea of strengthening. I don't have time to go into all the, all the things about it, but it has the idea of strengthening to, be, uh, to bring about bravery. And I won't break that down too much, but there's comfort, um, encouragement, comfort. What's the next thing? Any fellowship or participation in the spirit? Spirit fellowship, we'll just say that. And then what's the last one? There's one more. Tenderness and compassion. Okay, tenderness and compassion in, in the ESV has got affection and sympathy. Um, similar words. Okay, so he's talking about, about these uh, different things. He says, okay, now you're in this content. You're in this battle. You're struggling with, with being a Christian and living out your life. And he says, but... Sin, and the kind of the word that here, it's translated so here, can also mean since. It's kind of like uh, flowing just because that's there, therefore this. <laughs> that didn't make any sense, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go again. <laughs> Try this again. He says, because these things are a certainty that you've experienced in your struggle. It's kind of what he's saying. So, because this is happening, okay, these are realities in your lives. Here's what's happening. When you get together, you get encouragement. Okay? You get encouragement 
in Christ. By being united to Christ is, is another way that's translated. You're encouraged by being united in Christ, okay? You have comfort from love, from the love of God, from the love of the other people in, in the church. You have participation or fellowship in the Spirit. Okay? And you have affection and sympathy. Okay? Now we said that the word for comfort includes making, making us strength, strengthened and, and more brave in our, in our in our struggle, okay? Sympathy just means mercy, uh, pity or compassion shown for the sufferings of others. So some, you're suffering, you, you felt sympathy, you felt compassion by other people in your life. You felt affection, this word actually means your intestines, but it, that's the literal meaning. But the meaning is the, that the, the, the soft, uh, compassion, the, the pity, the, uh, the affection shown uh, by other people. So you have these good things. You say, you're having these good things happen to you, and you've probably experienced them. And these are realities and certainties if you're in a church. They should be. So he says, if that's happening at all, if there's any of that going on, he says, fulfill my joy. Okay? Complete my joy. Verse 2. Now, he's appealing to the, all the good things that happen when we operate as a church. Okay? He's appealing to those things and saying, if there's any of that going on, continue in those things, but this is how it happens. If you've sensed or experienced any of this happening, then I want you to complete my joy by being of the same mind, etc. Now, before we get into those things that he wants them to have and, and uh, the attitude he wants them to have, when he says, complete my joy, what's he talking about there? Look back at verse 4. 1 4. Go back to 1 4. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Verse 4. What does Paul have when he's thinking about them and praying for them? Joy. Okay? So he says, when I pray for you, I have joy. Okay? And then later on we found verse 24 that, that he's thinking about them and... Um, He's thinking about um, wanting to help them, right? So his joy is, I want to see you progress. So he says, if you experienced any of this, the greatest thing that I could see happening as I pray for you, as I think about you, and, and I care about you, and I'm sitting in this prison, is I want you to be Christ to the people around you. So he says, so he tells them what attitude is necessary in order to get back up here to what we want to see happen at the end. Okay? So he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, 
and of one mind. The same mind, the first one, means feel the same way. Think the same thoughts. Think, think the same way. Have the same attitude about things. I'd like to see that you have that unity that's based on the Word of God. The second thing is uh, the idea of full accord. Okay? So there's the same mind, same love, full accord, and one mind. So he says this is the attitude that you have to have as a church in order to get this to this place where you need to aspire to. And he says, uh, have these things. Now, the idea, we, we, we found out about that word psyche before. Now, the word that's translated full accord, okay, is a word that's sin psyche. When we get the word symphony, sympathetic, it's, it's like having the, kind of the same. <laughs> it's a thing of the same, okay. And then, Psyche, have the same soul, or be fellow-souled, have the same, this means, be soulmates. <laughs> and if you saw on the internet today, well, I have a question about that later. <laughs> but if you saw on the internet, to, internet today, was this, the title of this was, Soulmates and Significant Others. And I found it interesting that we think of soulmates and significant others as what? Relationships. Relationship people. Marriage, right? Or good relationship. <laughs> and yet, what Paul is saying is your soul needs to be in full accord. You, have, you as a church should have this, this symphony of souls together. So the attitude of same mind, same love, full accord, and one mind, one is what what is gonna bring us to this place where you need to be. So for that to happen, a lot of things need maybe need to change. Uh, one the uh, the the word one mind the last one is translated one mind, is means to think or to have a mindset. It also involves the, the will, the affections, and the conscience. Okay? It's intentionality. It's purpose. In, in the new uh, NET Bible, it says having one purpose. New American Standard says intent on one purpose. So the idea is you as a church should have one purpose. Be like-minded have the same love for each other, and have the same soul be in full accord, okay? So, in order for that to happen, he says in verse 3, do. The first word of verse 3 is do, right? It's do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, hum in, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. <laughs> now, I had to look at that for a while because I, I 
kept studying it because there was conflicting things. One times, sometimes it says things along the line of esteem each other superior to yourself. And I was thinking about that. I thought, well, that's, I don't know that that's what it's saying because it, because it seemed like maybe that wouldn't be realistic to do that. Even in a, in a real sense, like, you're better than me. You're just better than me, even though we, in our back of our mind, we know, maybe not. You know? <laughs> so, but the idea of it, the humility, um, I mean, the, lo the esteeming others better than ourselves is we're having a concern for their needs and concerns. We sort of have, and, and the best way to, uh, to translate that is the, is the way it is translated, count others more significant than yourselves or more important than yourself. So in your mind, you're thinking, this person is more important, okay? And you know, you've all, you've all experienced this. I was over at uh, this guy's place the other day. I won't say his name. I kind of know him, and not really, okay? But he was showing me his house, and uh, he showed me his guitar. And as you know, I have a few guitars myself, so I'm interested in that. And so I was listening to him talk about his guitar, and I asked him a few questions about it, and he's talking about his guitars and different things. And so I thought, well, I'll share a little bit about the guitars that I have at home. <laughs> and so I did. And I was about halfway through, as I was talking a little bit about guitar, he says, and look at this. <laughs> he just cut me off, okay. I thought, oh, okay, well, okay, there's one to hear about that. So I asked him a few more questions about the things he had on the wall, the pictures, and he said, this is a cutout from an ad advertisement for a guitar. Would you like that? That's great, isn't it? He just cut it out and framed it. It looks great. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. That's cool. That's cool. And then I tried to say something else about another guitar I'd put together, and he cut me off again. And I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> this is, uh, okay, I, I get it now. He doesn't think I have anything important to say. And that was kind of humbling, but in a way, but in a way, we can fall into that when we don't esteem others, their life and their, their, their needs and their concerns more important than us. Because if you've been around L.A. a lot especially, people are just waiting for their turn to talk about themselves. <laughs> are you with me? They're not listening to you. They're not counting you as more important than themselves. They're waiting to talk about themselves. They're waiting to promote their own thing. And so this goes against everything that even in that time was the natural way of doing things because he says in humility and the word means lowliness of mind. In pagan writers, this word lowliness or, or humility, the word had a bad meaning. A bad meaning. It meant it meant abject groveling. Okay. The ancient Greeks considered this a fault, not a virtue. Humility was not a great thing. You acting small and insignificant, and usually it was because you were poor. Usually it was because you came from a, uh, a place that wasn't well esteemed, or from a, uh, um, a race that wasn't well esteemed, okay? And so 
humility was a was a bad thing. And the pagan one writer wrote this: the pagan and the secular idea of manhood is self-assertiveness, imposing one's will on others. When anyone stooped to others, he did so only under compulsion. Hence, his action was disgraceful. So the idea of being a humble person went against everything in that culture, as it kind of does in ours, although we, we value humility when we see it, right? To some degree. But Paul is just going against everything that's in the culture. In this lowliness of mind, in this humility, humble way, consider other people's lives more important than yours. Wow. I think that if we if we really got a hold of that, it would really make us stand out as believers, okay? So if we could esteem other people better or more important, if we consider their needs above ours, we'll have natural concern for their needs. We'll actually become concerned about their life. Have you ever watched a television show, like maybe a reality show, and you don't care about anybody on that show, you don't know anybody on that show? <laughs> Shane is laughing. You don't know anybody on that show, and as you watch, as you get into it, you start to go, Oh, I hope that. What? Somebody wins top chef? <laughs> that was Elijah. Okay. They were talking to me about top chef, and they had watched it, and they said they were, began to cheer for one person. Not thought about it. That's even a contrived premise that, you know, was going on there, because it's not real. But we get emotionally involved and become concerned, and we want other people to succeed and do better when we show that concern, when we consider them, when we take into account their lives and their needs and, and what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. And that's what Paul is saying to the church. This is how you get from, have that attitude and do this thing, do this thing where you uh, don't do anything out of strife. Do, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others or esteem others or consider others more significant or more important than yourself. And then he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right? So this is the way you do it. Don't do anything out of strife and consider uh, vain conceit. But in humility, count others more important than yourself. I'm not writing this all down. Obviously, I'm just pointing to the blank space where it should be written. <laughs> and, and then the last thing is, look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's how you, we express humility. That's the action when we actually care, begin to care about other people. That's the action that leads to this place where we have this kind of unity when we're standing firm, striving side by side for the gospel and not frightened. Because we become all about the gospel in people's lives. Okay? And again, this would, would go against the Roman values where the quest for honor and status was everything. 
if you watch anything about the Roman Empire, it's like everybody's trying to get a little further ahead, right? Kind of reminds me of our current culture, I suppose, in some ways. But I found this quote by this guy named Cicero. You guys have heard of Cicero? You ever heard of Cicero? Okay, he was a guy in the Roman Empire that was um, considered really wise. I think he was a senator, one of the senators. But he said this. He says, by nature we yearn and hunger for honor. And once we have glimpsed, as it were, some part of its radiance, there's nothing we are not prepared to bear and suffer in order to secure it. That's, is, that, is that right? Is that true? Let me read it again. By nature, that's our nature, right? We yearn and hunger for honor. And once we have glimpsed some part of its radiance, there's nothing we're not prepared to bear and suffer in order to secure it. Once we've tasted a little bit of that honor and that prestige and that recognition, don't we just yearn for it? I mean, I think that's, that's the natural way. Um, there's a question here as we, as we bring this kind of to an end. I wrote down here, we can all look to a time or times when we received honor and recognition and secretly yearned to have it given to us again. How much of what we do as believers is motivated by this desire? And I don't want you to answer out loud, but I just think about that. How much of what we do as believers is motivated by a desire to be honored in some way? And this is what Paul is speaking against. I remember that feeling. I remember, I remember when I was playing hockey when I was about 16 or 17. And I remember the game because we were down four to three. And I went in the, in the defense, defenseman had the puck behind the net. And I went back and I was able to take it away from him really quickly. And, and I went like I was going to go on this side of the net. I remember going to this side of the net and, and scoring a goal. And so now it was 4-4, and my teammates were all excited. And, and then I, and, uh, about, a, about a 10 seconds later, I stole the puck again and went down and scored. And I remember that, that we won that game, it was a playoff game, and the honor that I felt from everybody around, because they didn't think we were going to do it. I remember that feeling, it was like, oh, that elation, that, that sense of like, Wow, everybody likes, I want to do this all the time, you know. <laughs> I, want, I want to feel this all the time. And, uh, you know, things like that. I think we probably have a moment like that in our lives, or moments. Or we're looking ahead to those moments, I don't know. But if, if our goal in our life is to get that happening to us again, we are not going to be good believers. We're not going to be what we're called to. In humility, count others more significant or more important than yourself. So stop and just think about it for a second. It's easy to quote a Bible verse, say, oh, that sounds beautiful. But think of the reality of thinking of someone that's less attractive than you less nice, less in shape, less smart, 
less together, of a different country, of the same country in a different race, and we think that person is more significant and more important than me. Do we do that? I mean, do we live that? I mean, that's what we're aspiring to. That's, that's the attitude we have to have. That's the action that we have to take. Take is act, actively count or esteem or think of others as more important than ourselves. It's the action part. Then we have this attitude of love and, and being full accord and one mind and all that as believers. But as believers, this is what you then do. You count others. <laughs> more significant than yourself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word today and I pray that it would continue to speak to our hearts and change our minds and our motivation and our, and our reality to conform it to what you want of us. Where we look not on our own things, but on the concerns and the needs of others. I pray, Lord, that we would aspire to this, that we would be having a mind that that is, is together in our pursuit of the gospel, pursuit of truth, mm-hmm. and pursuit of love for one another, pursuit of full accord, pursuit of like-mindedness. I pray that that would be what, what, what identifies us, what marks us as different, what, what attracts people to us, is the love we have for each other, and the love mm-hmm. and the truth that we stand for. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts tonight in what ways we need to change and what we need to do differently to come into conformity with what your word tells us to do. And I just pray, Lord, that we would uh, gain much from this and and not let it leave our minds, but let it be a constant, something we constantly remember, look back to and say, hey, this is what God is calling me to. And Lord, I pray that we'd ultimately be about the gospel, be striving for the truth, be striving to know it, to communicate it, and to stand for it, and that the gospel would be what we all fight for, our our first identity. Mm -hmm. And we just uh, thank you for this time we can have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.